My name is Austin Smith, and you're listening to Poets Table on WDRT out of Viroqua. On this show, we spend some time with one of my favorite poets who I hope will become one of your favorite poets. And this morning, one of my very favorite poets is our subject, the American poet Larry Levis. And I'll just start by, as I usually do, telling you a bit about Levis. He was a um, a Californian-born poet, born in 1946 in the Central Valley, grew up in Selma, California. He uh, grew up on a, a grape vineyard. His father uh, raised grapes, and um, Levis grew up actually working with um, migrant laborers employed by his dad on the farm there in the Central Valley of California. Um, and much of his work, though his poetry career took him and his teaching career took him to many other places, including Iowa, Missouri, Utah, and finally Richmond, Virginia, um, much of his work speaks back to the place that he grew up. He was very influenced by another poet um, who we may have some time to talk about at some point on Poets Table, the poet Philip Levine, who Levis studied with at Fresno State um, College in the 60s. And uh, there are some wonderful remembrances by both poets of the other. So Levine uh, was Levis's teacher and uh, writes about how from the very beginning he knew that Levis was going to be a great poet, something about Levis's seriousness and uh, earnestness and drive to become a good poet was present from the moment they met. And then similarly, Levis would go on to write uh, really, really um, beautifully about his teacher and the influence that Levine had upon him. So um, I think that that's an interesting thing to note in just considering um, where Levis kind of comes from and um, the importance of, I think, having a good teacher when you're a young poet. Levis would go on to earn a PhD at the University of Iowa um, he wrote several poetry collections, including The Dollmaker's Ghost, The Afterlife, Wrecking Crew. And uh, I feel like maybe with a few of our other poets, unfortunately, lately, um, that I have to say, uh, Levis passed away way too young. Um, he was, I believe, in his uh, 50s when he died. And uh, yeah, he was actually 50 years old when he died um, of heart failure in Richmond, Virginia, where he was teaching at Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, and the thing about Levis's late work is that, um, similar to the poet Jane Kenyon, who I shared about last time on Poets Table, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago on Poets Table, um, he left some, some poems uh, basically on his desk. And um, so the late poems were actually published after his death, um, including a, a great collection called Elegy, um, which um, is kind of strange, right? That he wrote a, a book called Elegy and then and then passed away. So he was thinking elegiacally at the end of his life, and uh, that's a, an, a lovely collection. It might even be the best book to start with if you're looking for a place to start with. Levis is that collection Elegy. Um, I actually had the opportunity when I was going to the University of Virginia to go to the Larry Levis Poetry Festival. This is a not that common for a, a recent poet to have a, a festival held in their honor, but Levis was very beloved um, by his fellow poets and his students and, and readers. And so it was this festival um, at the school where he 
was last teaching when he died and some of his family members were there and they even had a pair of his cowboy boots on display. <laughs> so he was a very um, charismatic person, um, loved motorcycles, loved, unfortunately, um, drugs. And um, that is a problem, I think, later in his life. It's It's been suggested. Um, he was definitely kind of a working class sort of guy. And um, that comes through, I think, in the poems as well. Uh, that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, he wrote, as I said earlier, a lot about the Central Valley of California and the the men that he grew up around, and particularly some of the um, migrant laborers who he worked besides on his uh, his father's vineyard. So he's one of my very favorite poets. Um, he was very important to me when I was even um, when I was in graduate school in California myself, and. I read him often. Um, one thing about Levis that I'll just say before I share these poems with you is that he is a, has a real uh, surrealist imagination. He'll go, he'll take, let the poem take him wherever it wants to take him. And the older he grew, the longer the poems became. So um, there's a collection I didn't mention called The Widening Spell of the Leaves. And I think you can hear even in that title that there's a sense of... Um, largesse about his work, um, a feeling of letting the poem kind of build beyond what it might have been intended to um, when the poet began writing. And that's one of the qualities I most enjoy about his work. You never quite know where he's going to be taking you. And so it's quite a ride to step into a Levis poem. I'm going to read a poem called The Poet at 17. My youth, I hear it mostly in the long, volleying echoes of billiards in the pool halls, where I spent it all extravagantly, believing my delicate touch on a cue would last for years. Outside, the vineyards vanished under rain, and the trees held still or seemed to hold their breath when the men I worked with, pruning orchards, sang their lost songs, Amapola, La Paloma, Jalisco, Note Rajes, the corny tunes their sons would just as soon forget at recess, where they lounged apart in small groups of their own. Still, even when they laughed, they laughed in Spanish. I hated high school then, and on weekends drove a tractor through the widowed fields. It was so boring, I memorized poems above the engine's monotone. Sometimes whole days slipped past without my noticing. And birds of all kinds flew in front of me then. I learned to tell them apart by their empty squabblings, the slightest change in plumage, or the inflection of a call. And why not admit it? I was happy then. I believed in no one. I had the kind of solitude the world usually allows only to kings and criminals who are extinct, who disdain this world, and who rot, corrupt and shallow, as fields I disked. I turned up the same gray earth for years. Still, the land made a glum raisin each autumn and made that little hell of days. The vines must have seemed like cages to the Mexicans who were made seven cents a tray for the grapes they picked. Inside the vines it was hot, and spiders strummed their emptiness. Black widow, daddy long legs. The vine canes whipped our faces. None of us cared. And the girls I tried to talk to after class sailed by, then each night lay enthroned in my bed, with nothing on but the jewels of their embarrassment. Eyes, lips, dreams, no one. The sky and the road. A life like that? It seemed to go on forever. Reading poems in school then driving a stuttering tractor warm afternoons, then billiards on blue October nights, the thick stars. 
but mostly now I remember the trees wearing their mysterious yellow sullenness like party dresses, and parties I didn't attend, and then the first ice hung like spider lattices or the embroideries of great aunt no one, and then the first dark entering the trees, and inside the adults with their cocktails before dinner, the way they always seemed afraid of something, and sat so rigidly, although the land was theirs. So that was The Poet at 17 by Larry Levis. Um, I just really love that poem. Uh, it's one of my favorites by him. It's, uh, I guess you could say it's a poem that's sort of, you know, in, or reimagining or remembering the, uh, the development of the poet, maybe even before the poet is starting to write poems. So um, it's, a, it's in a tradition of poem that I think um, we can identify in many poets, which is sort of trying to find the roots or the origins of their fascination with language and imagery. And uh, I tried to read the poem, um, oh, I tried to read it well, and I tried to make sure that I, um, you know, uh, gave some credence to some of the moves that Levis makes. So even in the very first words of the poem, it, it begins with a question, my youth, so, sort of as if the title of the poem, The Poet at 17, is a question being asked and uh, the poet is being asked to explain what they were like at 17. Um, and so there's almost a dialogic uh, mode to the poem. I feel like it's in conversation with us and it's almost like a biography of the poet um, told by the poet himself. If you can, um, if you have a chance to search for the poem, again, it's The Poet at 17 by Larry Levis, spelled L-E-V-I-S. You'll see that the poem is in quatrains, which is um, stanzas of four lines each. There are there's not a particular rhyme scheme here at all, but um, I think that the the operating mode of the poem or like how it how it works is it it goes through um, a typical day in the life of a high school kid who um, is beginning to maybe open himself up to things beyond. Uh, the place that he lives and the um, things he sees from the stuttering tractor that he's driving, um, the glum raisin that the land makes each autumn, the little hell of days, um, the kind of solitude the world usually allows only to kings and to criminals, um, the measly amount of money the Mexican workers are paid for a, a tray of grapes. You know, in this kind of um, mundane, literally mundane world that he is um, living in, there's a suggestion of something beyond. And that comes through in some of the very strange imagery that the poem uh, embodies. And so um, just to go through, I, it's a longish poem, and I actually much of Levis's work is, is like this. It, like I said earlier, it sort of, I don't mean this in a negative way, but sort of unravels. Uh, and his poems grew longer and longer and longer as he um, grew older. Uh, so I won't reread it, but just to go through it, um, there are just strange moments where you feel like the poet is coming coming awake within, uh, again, this kind of mundane world that he's living in. He says he hates high school, but at this in the same sentence, he says he drove the tractor through the widowed fields. What is it for a field to be widowed? Um, does that mean it was married to something that died? Uh, later, we have the image of black widows. Uh, so maybe he's got that in mind or is preparing us for the image of black widow spiders in the in the vines. 
He tells us in the poem that he memorized poems, so he's interested in poetry at this time. Um, but he's maybe just kind of a fan of it. Maybe he hasn't started writing it yet. He talks about um, the... He goes on uh, later in one of my favorite images talking about the girls that he would kind of daydream about. Um, he tried to talk to them after class, which suggests that he didn't succeed in doing that. And yet each night they sail by and lay enthroned in his bed. This is one of my favorite lines because it really doesn't make very much sense, but I don't think he really cares. It's uh, with nothing on but the jewels of their embarrassment. Um, they're wearing nothing but their embarrassment to be with him. And um, he goes on to say in this line, eyes, lips, dreams, no one, the sky and the road. Uh, so there are these moments, these fragmentary sentences within Levis's poem that really break the, I guess you could say the monotony of some of the other language um, and kind of wake us up out of the spell that the poem is putting us under. And, uh, one thing about Levis, I know he just came up with a couple things that he would do that are very characteristic of him. For instance, he never used the word and, A-N-D. He used an ampersand to um, represent the word and. And um, I've actually noticed with some younger poets them making the same decision and known immediately that they must be influenced by Levis if they've decided to use ampersands in their poems. It's just something that he started doing and it, it identifies his poetry in a really interesting way. It's kind of like a, his DNA. But anyway, that image of the um, girls he tried to talk to after class um, wearing nothing but the jewels of their embarrassment sort of comes back later with the trees wearing their mysterious yellow sullenness like party dresses. I love the idea of the trees can wear a sullenness about them and the simile of the trees wearing uh, party dresses. And then that leads him to say that there were parties he didn't attend and the first ice hung like spider lattices or the embroideries of this mysterious great aunt, no one. <laughs> this is another characteristic of Lavis's poems is he'll often give you two choices. He'll say, this was like this, or it was like this. And um, when I teach, I tell my students that this is uh, both wonderful and frustrating at once because sometimes we want the poet to just tell us what something is like and uh, not give us two or three options. But Levis is always kind of complicating that. And oftentimes we'll say something is like this or it's like this and we are kind of made to choose. Or maybe we can't even choose. Maybe we just have to dwell with the um, uncertainty of both. And then the poem ends with the uh, first dark entering the trees and the adults with their cocktails before dinner and the way they always seemed afraid of something and sat so rigidly, although the land was theirs. So it ends in an image of fear. Um, something, it feels like the poem is um, situating itself at a certain moment where after which everything is going to change. And uh, this is the poet at 17. It's like the hinge moment between um, a pretty, from what the poet describes as a pretty, um, I don't know, I don't want to use too strong a word and say pointless, but um, maybe a, a life that doesn't have a whole lot of motivation or intention to it, and then a life that's going to be devoted to this vocation of writing poetry. So it's a sort of a hinge moment, I think, in Levis's life. Um, when I teach, I often have my students write poems called um, The Poet at a Certain Age. 
I wouldn't say that they should write a poem called The Poet at 17 because most of them are only 18 or 19. So I'll say write a poem called The Poet at 7 or something like that. So depending on how old you are, I would encourage you to maybe try to write a poem called The Poet at blank and uh, return to that time in your life and see if you can't uh, maybe replicate in some ways what Levis does here. So then the next poem I wanted to share by Levis is... Um, is a poem called Winter Stars, in which he also mentions the age of 17, so I thought it'd be a good link. Um, so again, this is Larry Levis, who we're talking about today, uh, on Poet's Table on WDRT out of Viroqua. Winter Stars. My father once broke a man's hand over the exhaust pipe of a Don Deere John Deere tractor. The man, Ruben Vasquez, wanted to kill his own father with a sharpened fruit knife, and he held the curved tip of it lightly between his first two fingers so it could slash horizontally and with surprising grace across the throat. It was like a glinting beak in a hand, and for a moment the light held still on those vines. When it was over, my father simply went in and ate lunch, and then, as always, lay alone in the dark, listening to music. He never mentioned it. I never understood how anyone could risk his life than listen to Vivaldi. Sometimes I go out into this yard at night and stare through the wet branches of an oak in winter and realize I am looking at the stars again, a thin haze of them shining and persisting. It used to make me feel lighter looking up at them. In California, that light was closer. In a California no one will ever see again, my father is beginning to die. Something inside him is slowly taking back every word it ever gave him. Now, if we try to talk, I watch my father search for a lost syllable as if it might solve everything, and though he can't remember now the word for it, he is ashamed. If you can think of the mind as a place continually visited, a whole city placed behind the eyes and shining, I can imagine now its end, as when the lights go off one by one in a hotel at night, until at last all of the travelers will be asleep, or until even the thin glow from the lobby is a kind of sleep. And while the woman behind the desk is applying more lacquer to her nails, you can almost believe that the elevator, as it ascends, must open upon starlight. I stand out on the street and do not go in. That was our agreement at my birth. And for years I believed that what went unsaid between us became empty and pure, like starlight, and that it persisted. I got it all wrong. I wound up believing in words the way a scientist believes in carbon after death. Tonight, I'm talking to you, Father, although it is quiet here in the Midwest, where a small wind, the size of a wrist, wakes the cold again, which may be all that's left of you and me. When I left home at 17, I left for good. That pale haze of stars goes on and on, like laughter that has found a final silent shape on a black sky. It means everything it cannot say. Look, it's empty out there and cold, cold enough to reconcile even a father, even a son. This poem, Winter Stars, is, again, by Larry Levis from a collection called Winter Stars. And you heard in the poem his reference to leaving home at 17, and so I think it's a sort of companion poem to the poet at 17. Um, this is just a, a little bit of a difficult poem to talk about because it's very characteristic of Levis to um, begin very concretely. So he starts with, My father once broke a man's hand over the exhaust pipe of a John Deere tractor. That could be a piece of, uh, it could be a sentence from a, a memoir or uh, I guess a short story. Um, Levis also, he said once in an interview that 
he tried writing fiction once and he laughed at himself. It was so horrible. But I think that he brings a lot of um, fictional uh, tools to the poem in that he will, like I said earlier, kind of follow the story wherever it leads him rather than, I think, um, trying to stay too, uh, too devoted to what truly happened. Because though the poem might begin with uh, an actual literal anecdote or memory, I do believe that there was a man named Ruben Vasquez, and I do believe he wanted to kill his own father with a sharpened fruit knife. Um, the poem, as we go on, and again, it's a longer one, and I, I unfortunately won't be able to read it again in our time here, but it is available online as Winter Stars by Larry Levis. As it goes on, uh, the poem becomes increasingly stranger and stranger. And I think that if I needed to summarize what happens in the poem, I would say that um, Larry Levis, the poet's father, once intervened when a worker of his tried to kill his own father. Um, and so there are these um, parallels of fathers and sons in the poem. Ruben Vasquez is a son who wants to kill his dad. Larry Levis is a son who is um, struggling through a period of time in which his dad is is dying. And Levis, um, I know just biographically at this time, was living either in Iowa or in Missouri. And um, he's remembering nights in California looking at the stars. Um the title of the poem, again, is Winter Stars. The, the title of the collection that the poem appears in is called Winter Stars. So he's remembering this time um, in California, uh, a California no one will ever see again, he writes. And he's trying to kind of come up with some metaphors for what it might be for um, a mind to begin to go. So I don't know how his father passed away, but it seems that he is having some cognitive um, failings, searching for a lost syllable as if it might solve everything. And Levis imagines the mind as a place that one could visit, uh, a whole city placed behind the eyes and shining. And if you can imagine a mind as a city, you can imagine its end as well. So then he goes into this lovely image of the lights going off one by one in a hotel at night until at last all of the travelers are asleep or until even the thin glow from the lobby is a kind of sleep. And he imagines this woman behind the desk um, applying nail polish to her nails and an elevator that, as it ascends, opens upon starlight. So he's really, he's taken um, his father's failing mind and made this incredible, I don't even know if I would say metaphor, because it just, it turns into a kind of surreal story. And that's what Levis is really good at. He'll take a metaphor or a simile and he'll just, he'll just follow it right through into narrative. And next thing you know, you're, you're going from, you know, someone's um, cognitive state into an elevator opening upon starlight. And you kind of ask yourself, how did I get here? Which is, I think, the magic of his work. Um, he keeps referencing starlight. And so I think a lot of times Levis has to, like, um, because he goes so many different places in his poems, you really need to have an image that kind of holds it all together a little bit. And in this poem, I think it's stars and starlight. Um, I've, I've definitely, as I said earlier, noticed people trying to imitate Levis, and I think they often fail because it's, it's kind of an easy mode to try to imitate, um, writing a poem that kind of unfurls and, and grows beyond itself. But it's really hard to do that well. And I'm always impressed by how he kind of brings everything back at the end of his poems. 
Um, it's like he's never really lost the thread of what it is he's trying to say. He says, tonight I'm talking to you, Father. So he's addressing his father directly, um, although it is quiet here in the Midwest. So again, I feel he was probably in Iowa or Missouri at this time that he was writing this poem, but he's addressing his father in California. There's a great image of a small wind the size of a wrist. I've never really thought of wind as having a tangible shape like that. Um, and this wind wakes the cold again. How wind could wake cold is another strange image. And he has this kind of declarative sentence that when I left at home at 17, I left for good. Um, it's interesting. Uh, what is he saying there? When I left home at 17, I left for good in terms of I will never return home or I left for the good. I left for good reason. Um, I think that those two readings are present in that line. I'll just read the very last stanza here uh, again so that we can hear it and think about what he might be getting at at the end of the poem. That pale haze of stars goes on and on, like laughter that has found a final silent shape on a black sky. It means everything. It cannot say. Look, it's empty out there and cold, cold enough to reconcile even a father, even a son. So we have this image of reconciliation at the end of the poem between the poet and his father. Um, earlier in the poem, we had uh, the poet's father breaking the hand of a man who was trying to kill his father. <laughs> so uh, there's breakage and reconciliation in the poem from the beginning to the end, uh, something broken has become reconciled or healed. And that's the kind of, that's the lifespan of the poem. I think that most good poems, I think maybe all good poems, they offer a change or some kind of shift between beginning and end. And I think that this poem works through uh, a sort of severance and then it kind of brings uh, poet and father together in the end. Um, and it does this via this very strange imagery at times extremely surreal. Um, and it really reconciles a lot of different um, things, right? There's um, Ruben Vasquez who wanted to kill his father but was prevented from doing so. Uh, there's the poet and his dying father. There's the Midwest and California. There's the present moment and memory. Um, there's the um, kind of impossible uh, fact that Levis describes of how anyone could risk their life and then lie down and listen to classical music. So there, this poem is just taking these extremities, these extremes, and kind of um, finding a medium uh, where they can meet. And I think that that's really remarkable. So I'm not going to be able to share another poem by Levis because, as I said, many of them are so, are so long. Um, but he was... Um, just a fantastic poet of place and, uh, but also of like a surreal dream life. And I think that there's something about Levis that is very um, childlike. There's a, there's a way in his poems that one feels kind of returned to a place of wonder that um, we might lose as we age. And so he's, he's a great poet of the imagination of magic and of childhood as well. And um, as I said earlier, one of my very favorite poets so we've spent some time today, again, with, um, I'm going to go ahead and call him a Californian poet, Larry Levis, L-E-V-I-S. The first poet you, uh, sorry, the first poem you heard was The Poet at 17, which is available on the Poetry Foundation website at poetryfoundation.org. And the second poem that we just discussed is Winter Stars, 
and that is also available at poetryfoundation.org. As always, I encourage you, if you were really struck by hearing one of these poems, to search for it and read it on the screen, because um, there's a lot to be gained from, from actually reading the poems. I know it's hard sometimes to hear them in one pass. So thank you, as always, for joining me today on Poets' Table. Um, again, I'm your host, Austin Smith. Uh, this show, Poets' Table, can only be heard on WDRT out of Viroqua. It's always a pleasure to spend Friday mornings with you discussing the poets I love, and I look forward to joining you again next Friday. So thank you and take care until then.